University of California, Irvine. This is the UCI Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Vasich. Since 2007, Sierra Magazine has chosen the 10 best cool schools. These are universities tapped for doing the most in the areas of environmental sustainability. One might think that liberal arts colleges in the Pacific Northwest or New England would dominate the rankings. But in actuality, no school has been consistently cooler than UCI. This week, Sierra is posting its 2019 college sustainability rankings. And once again, UCI has placed among the nation's top 10 coolest schools. In fact, they've done so for a record 10 straight years. They've even topped the list on a number of occasions. It's easy to see why. UCI's history of environmental and sustainability leadership dates back to the Nobel Prize-winning ozone depletion research of F. Sherwood Rowland almost five decades ago. From this work has grown a flourishing culture of sustainable practices, groundbreaking research, and extraordinary accomplishments that has placed UCI at the very forefront of American higher education. One person who's helped bring about UCI's remarkable success is Wendell Brazi, the Associate Chancellor of Sustainability. He's joining us today on the podcast. What makes UCI so cool? Well, that is revealed, I think, in the comprehensiveness of the Sierra rankings. One of the reasons we have a lot of respect for the Sierra rankings is because it is so comprehensive. They actually measure and evaluate about 850 data points about us and others who are competing in the, in the same uh, ranking system. And so that means you have to be exemplary in lots of areas, in student engagement, in uh, the coursework that's being offered around sustainability and, and environmental stewardship. Uh, you have to be good in research and you have to be great in operations. What's interesting about Irvine is, is that uh, across all those areas, you see amazing things happening. And it's, it's a very democratic process, meaning there's no top-down order coming from the chancellor's office or from my office or from any other office saying, do it. It's, it's actually happen, happening because people care and, and they're concerned and they're, they're, they want to be part of a, uh, an important solution set that needs to come out of research universities. And th- this is the place. What are some of the key achievements at UC Irvine in the area of sustainability that have influenced other universities and society in general? Well, probably one of the most widespread impacts that we've had on other universities, starting in about, 19, or about 2007, we tackled the fact that in a research university, laboratories are very energy intensive. When we started, and, and still in many universities today, Laboratories use six to ten times as much energy per square foot per year as, let's say, a building like this, an office building, or a classroom building, or any any other kind of building, residential building on a campus. So that's the critical path to really doing deep energy efficiency improvement for a campus. At least in a research university, you have to do something about the laboratories. So we started out on a program that is now called Smart Labs. Uh, it's called SMART because um, we were early adopters of um, a system of sensors and software which um, deliver just the right amount of energy at just the right place at just the right time, zone by zone by zone, 
and we did this in, in retrofit programs in every one of our existing laboratories, and we've been using it in all of our new laboratories. Uh, the first new laboratory we did was the, um, the stem cell building. We set a goal on that building to beat California's code, Title 24, which is considered one of the most aggressive, perhaps the most aggressive energy efficiency code in the United States. We set the goal of beating it by half, 50%. There were a lot of people thought, that thought that was a crazy goal, that was just impossible. But we thought that there had been a lot of waste built into design practices over the past three or four decades before that. And uh, people had become complacent by calling design practices best practices or standard practices or terms that made people not question them. And we, we questioned everything. We had people here who had the right attitude, which is uh, we've got to make a big dent on this carbon footprint. The first way we know to make a dent is to reduce our demand for energy. And um, uh, so we did that. And, and then since then, we've given talks, lectures, presentations, workshops. We've done whole um, uh, two-day workshops on campus uh, to which we had uh, people from uh, research universities uh, primarily across the United States, including Canada and Mexico. We had a group uh, actually attend this last January that came from Beijing. Um, a group of about 10 people. Um, we, I've spoken, I just got back from speaking at the uh, conference in Beijing call, uh, for the International Institute of Sustainable Laboratories. Oh, and actually uh, the Department of Energy adopted our program, it's, and they call it a Smart Labs Accelerator Program, and uh, five of the national laboratories of the United States now are doing what, what we, uh, we pioneered. How much energy a year does the campus now save with the SmartLab program? It's hard to say exactly f from that program because we've done so many other things. But the campus has doubled in size since 1994, physically, and we're using about the same amount of energy. This type of commitment requires quite a bit of human capital and financial resources. Why should UCI devote so much to sustainability? Well, everything I've just discussed pays off. It pays off really big uh, because uh, energy is not free. These uh, energy projects we've done, the smart lab projects and, and all the lighting efficiency projects and, and uh, well, across the campus, there, there's, there's a wide range of energy efficiency improvements we've made, both in new buildings and in existing buildings. And, um, um, and it's not just the direct energy that's saved. Uh, in California, there will be a cost on carbon. There is a cost already uh, in the cap-and-trade program of California. That cost will go up over time. So we take that into account. We, we, we know that we're avoiding a future cost that is... Uh, very probable, uh, I would say inevitable, and it should be. And, uh, and then on top of that, when you, when you take all these uh, energy using systems, like lighting systems and motors um, uh, for uh, ventilation systems and exhaust systems, that kind of thing, when you run them at half speed, which is basically what we're doing across the campus now, 
they're not going to last twice as long. They're going to last four or five times as long. That is a huge capital cost savings that actually accrues to our tuition payers, to the taxpayers of California who paid for these facilities, uh, to the state of California who's paying for the ongoing maintenance because um, all those things benefit. Yeah, and also we're providing an example of how to be a good, socially responsible neighbor. We're showing that, and we're also showing that it, it actually pays off to, to do the right thing. I mean, yeah. it, it's clear that uh, the uh, benefits and what, what we call the co-benefits of deep energy efficiency are um, way greater than we initially thought they would be. In our wildest, uh, most optimistic expectations, we didn't know it would be this good. What are students learning about sustainability that they can carry out, out of campus after they graduate and integrate it into their lives? Well, what they learn here at Irvine, I think, is really pretty special. And, and uh, it's not that we're the only people that are doing this, but, but here, here's what's happening that I see at Irvine that, that is so important. At Irvine, you, you have faculty in different academic disciplines that on some campuses are in separate silos. Here you'll find that faculty in Earth System Science know the faculty in engineering. They know the faculty in the advanced power and energy program. They know the people in social ecology who are working on water policy. They know people in the law school because they've gone to programs in, uh, on environmental law uh, that were sponsored by uh, the law school. They know the people in public health. They know that people in public health are working on uh, changing curricula for health sciences professionals uh, in order to embody uh, more information about the changing impacts of climate on, on chronic diseases. And um, uh, they know people in biology who are, who are uh, studying uh, coral reefs and ocean health metrics that are declining. Even humanities and arts here, uh, their faculty who are working on projects and research and teaching that, that involves sustainability. So when all the faculty around an entire campus, I've just described the entire ring wall of the campus, when they, when they work together and they collaborate, that actually benefits the way students learn about sustainability because as Ralph Cicero and our former chancellor said, this isn't a bunch of systems, this is one system. That's why he called it Earth System Science, not Earth Systems Science. And, and he, he made that a teaching moment whenever he heard someone say systems because as one system, all these people who are doing uh, exemplary work in all the areas I mentioned are working on one problem. And when students, when, they, when students come out, I think they, they get it. Some of them get it when they come in, but they certainly get it by the time they leave because they're influenced by a faculty that knows each other, talks to each other, and collaborates with each other. And that's really big. Well, what's the next sustainability hurdle to overcome here on campus? On campus, well, we don't necessarily think in an insular way about just the campus. I mean, this campus, as a public research university in California, is highly embedded in working on the problems of California's decarbonization. We're, we're all in on the bipartisan goals that have been set in California for decarbonization of the energy system in California. Uh, and, and we think that means the gas system as well as the electric uh, grid in California. So we have people working on those things right now. 
uh, on campus over in the Advanced Energy uh, Program. And um, uh, th that's going to be a big challenge for California, and therefore it will be for us because we're, we're at ground zero on, on all, uh, all the toughest problems. Uh, there are some tough problems because uh, as California starts down the path toward renewable energy, um, it looks um, uh, easier than we thought. I mean, California met its goals for 2020 uh, for the amount of renewable penetration in the electric grid. That was done easier. It was done because the price of solar came down a lot and the adoption rate went up not just uh, on the uh, utility scale projects, but also uh, a lot of homeowners in California uh, have installed solar because of the incentives in California. It looks so easy to get to Oh, 20% penetration into um, the electric grid, or 30%, and people started saying, well, let's go to 100. Well, there are some problems when you model this thing out, as, as has been done on this campus, um, in, in getting that last 20 to 40%. Getting all the way to 100% involves um, having to face the problem of seasonal storage. And so there's no simple answer for this. It gets more and more complicated as you really get towards zero. And it will get more complicated for this campus and every other campus as we get closer to zero. But we're not in isolation here. What I'm describing is a problem that is, is, a, is a California problem. And it's a problem that's being faced increasingly across many of the states. At least 20 states in the United States now are, are looking at this in, in, with the same intensity that you see in California, much because of California's leadership, I think. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to have to tackle the, these tough problems of uh, how do you totally decarbonize the grid? How do you get to 100% decarbonized by 2045, which is the goal that is adopted by statute uh, in California for the electric grid, and the goal which has been announced now by Southern California or, uh, SoCal Gas uh, for the gas grid, and um, when you think about the kinds of um, things that will have to be scaled up in order to do that on the gas side, uh, well, one of them is hydrogen injection. Well, guess which campus has an electrolyzer and, and has been producing hydrogen with excess solar that's being injected into uh, the natural gas that's supplying the, uh, the combustion turbine for the campus? UCI. UCI has been doing that. And who supported that? Southern California Gas. So they're working also with not just Irvine. They just uh, announced uh, three days ago a, a big uh, demonstration project uh, with the NREL, National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Well, we've got a lot of ties into NREL, too. So this is a big collaborative impact kind of thing where in order to really make progress, we're going to have to collaborate with a lot of people. We're going to have to think in a, in a way that really grasps the scale and the, the immediacy of this problem. This campus is full of faculty I see who are ready to tackle that challenge. Thank you for joining us today, Wendell. For more about UCI's commitment to sustainability, please go to sustainability.uci.edu. The UCI podcast is a production of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs. I'm your host, Tom Vasich. Thanks for listening. <music>